Well, if you aren't there yet, if you could please turn to Colossians chapter 2. Thank you, Uncle Lance. That was a really good reading. Um, I'm going to turn there as well, so you can turn with me, and I'll get there myself. will be on the screen, but I encourage you to to get there on your phones or if you have your Bibles. Okay, looks like most of you are there. I'm not starting my timer until we get there, so I get... (laughs) All right, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for how you are working in and amongst your church here at KBC. And I, and I pray that you would continue to do your work by your spirit now as I preach your word. I need help to serve my brothers and sisters well, so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the other week I preached, uh, when I preached, I I gave you all some homework. Um, And so how many of you tried your hardest to read through or to pray through the directory past the past week, past couple weeks, tried, yeah? How many of you got, actually got through some of it? Some of it? Yeah, good. How many of you got through all of it? All right, all right. Okay, some of you. Um, And so I pray that if you haven't done that, I pray that you you make that that a habit. If you don't have a directory and you're a member, I I definitely encourage you get one. Um, Have it with you. Keep it in your Bible. Keep it in a prominent place in your house um, and, and pray through it. And then, as I said, we don't come to church merely to receive, but to work, to Go and talk to them, the, the people you prayed for. Tell them that you prayed for them and how you can continue to, to pray for them. And so uh, continue to do that. Um, but the other week, we covered a lot of ground in Colossians. Um, there, was, there was a lot that I wanted to say. So in God's providence, Pastor Randy had to stay home one more Sunday. And I was like, oh, I get a do-over now. Um, <laughs> he asked if I could preach. And, and I want to go back and cover a few things that I didn't have time. To, to address, and, um, and it's good because we're at a specific, a, a good spot in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, um, there, there's a natural turning point here in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. You see, in, in Colossians six, uh, 2, verses 6 through 7, Paul actually gives us his first imperative, his first command, Up to this point, Paul was informing the Colossian Christians uh, how he was praying for them, how he was laboring for them, and who it was that he prayed to and labored in the name of to make known the name of, and it is King Jesus. And now Paul is ready to begin the part of his letter where he's going to instruct his readers. Uh, So if you want to look with me at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, I'm going to read that. It says, 
Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul says, therefore, or in light of what I just said, and he makes his command, walk in him. And we'll spend a little time on, on what it means to walk in him, but I wanted to primarily spend this time that we have on how the command to walk in him is directly related and only made possible because of what he has said up to this point in Colossians. Uh, Paul has been building up to this imperative, and so I want to recap. I want to recap how he's been doing that. And that means that if you've been here since the beginning of my series in Colossians, uh, then what I'm going to say is nothing new. There's nothing new here. However, I pray that by the end of this time, you'll leave here with this main point, and I think this is what Paul's getting at in in Colossians, and just really the entire book of Colossians can be summed up, I think, in this. No matter what's going on around you or inside of you, keep living all of life consumed by King Jesus. No matter what's going on around you or inside of you, keep living life, all of life, consumed by King Jesus. So I have three points. Point number one, the Colossian problem. Point number two, the all-sufficient king. And point number three, the consumed life. Point number one, the Colossian problem. Point number two, the all-sufficient king. And point three, the consumed life. And so point number one, the Colossians problem. Look with me at verse six again. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Again, Paul starts out, as I've mentioned, with therefore. Whenever we see that, you should always back up and pay attention to what the author had just said. Now, I mentioned that that what we're going to overview this morning is everything Paul had said in Colossians up to this point. However, Paul's therefore here in verse 6 isn't meant to overview everything he said in Colossians so far. His, His therefore is pointing back specifically to verses 4 and 5, which does address everything he said up to this point. He says in verse 4 of Colossians chapter 2, I say this, I say this, or I've said all of what I've just said in order that no one may delude you, or because of what I just said, this is what I'm about to say now. Last time we were in Colossians, I, I didn't go over verse 4 and 5 in detail. And so, so let, me, let me just read that now. It says, Paul says, I say this in order because that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, this is the first time in this letter we're going to, we're we're beginning to hear about the problems the Colossian Christians were facing. It's in response to those problems, Paul's telling his readers, walk in him. So what were some of the problems these Colossian Christians were facing? I've said this before, well, some of the problems were outside of them, and some of the problems were inside of them. 
So here are some of the problems they're facing outside of them. The Colossians Christians were being, in chapter 2, verse 4, deluded or deceived with plausible arguments or fine and persuasive sounding arguments from false teachers. And before we look down on the Colossians, like how could they be so easily deceived? Can't, can't they tell a false teacher when, when they hear one, when they see one? We need to understand that they had a perceived and logical sense to their arguments, these false teachers did. In chapter 2, verse 8, they were being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit or deception according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. They were being tempted to look to the world's wisdom and the world's philosophy, even praying to angels. This theme of them relying on these elemental spirits or angels played a large role in the teachings of the false teachers in the church at Colossae. They were being persuaded by these false teachers to be harsh toward their own bodies, limiting what they can eat or drink, what they can touch or not touch, having a sense of pride in this self-abasement, like how Jesus speaks against those who fast out in the open for all to see. It was a sense of pride that they could display their godliness, their holiness, by what they do or don't touch, eat or don't eat. If you look at chapter 2, verse 18 and, and 20 through 23, it says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, or this modesty, this pride and modesty, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. In chapter 2, verse 20 through 23, Paul writes, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Now, before I go any further, uh, this verse is not against mask wearing, limiting gatherings, and vaccine mandates when you go to restaurants. So, so don't, don't read that into this. There's a lot of bad, cringy theology out there right now. Verses being taken out of context on both ends of the spectrum. So I just want to get in front of that. This is not about mask wearing, don't touch, don't eat. But before we again look down on the Colossian Christians, how can you have been so deceived by false teaching? We have to understand that these Christians are trying to, in verse 23 of chapter 2, they're trying to stop the indulgence of the flesh. They're trying to stop the indulgence of the flesh. It's not working. Because not only is the problem coming from outside of them, from false teachers, but they are also confronted by the real threat of a problem inside of them. Look at chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, 
impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. I commend to you Uncle Wes's sermon last week. Fantastic sermon on this text, and I love how he illustrates it with Unga Munga. So we begin to understand, though, as we read that, how the Colossian Christians can be persuaded that Jesus isn't, isn't enough. The gospel of God's free, unmerited, unearned righteousness is not enough. We need to, I need to do something. Not, not eat or drink things. I need to severely fast, pray to something seemingly more powerful because I, I have this sin in me. I need to do something more because my sin is an ever-threatening presence. There has to be more than just repent and believe. I have to earn it somehow. I should be punished for something, right? We know how easy it is to be persuaded. We hide from God when we sin, think we, we aren't worthy to pray and ask for forgiveness again and again and again. He surely must despise me by now. I don't deserve to repent. I don't deserve to pick up this word and read it. I have to try again later when I'm better. I can't confess my sin to my brother or sister and ask for accountability that I desperately need, but what will they think of me? Will they doubt my salvation? I doubt my own. So we cover our struggle, struggle with a righteous, happy veneer while our sin ravishes our lives even be tempted to think our own problem is only outside of us and not within us. Thinking, I'm, I'm angry because of these unjust mandates, or I'm angry because people refuse to be vaccinated, or I'm angry because something outside of me that is putting anger into me. So I'll slander my brother, my sister in Christ, not to their face, but in my heart. Or my spouse sinned against me and now I'm, I feel justified to pour out my wrath against them either in an outburst or in, in, in the silent treatment because I've persuaded myself that's what justice looks like. And that's how they're going to realize their fault and then seek repentance. We're, we're so easily persuaded and deceived by plausible arguments from without and from within. Brother, those are mine. <laughs> those are my struggles that I deal with every week. So easily deceived by plausible, sensible, worldly arguments from without and from within, and we're trying desperately to find something sufficient for our desire to be pleasing to God in order to make it to glory, but that's, that's bad news if we try to find something sufficient in us apart from Him. It doesn't give us any hope that we will reach glory. But the text gives us the, the solution, uh, how we will make it to glory. What is our hope of glory? And that's our second point, the all-sufficient king. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles 
are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> this passage is glorious, is, is, is it not? And as I said last week, this mystery is not just glorious, not just rich in glory, but greatly rich in glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, but who is this Christ who dwells in you? Last week, I wanted to go into that, but we didn't have time. But, and, and even still, today, I wanted to do like a survey of the Old Testament treatment of, 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 of God indwelling His people, even just the New Testament treatment of who Christ is. But, but, I, but I think if we just stay in Colossians, I mean, you can just tell me if this is, this is just Colossians is sufficient. Uh, who is this Christ according to Paul in Colossians? This Christ qualifies the grossly unqualified in chapter 1, verse 12. This Christ who dwells in you has a kingdom that we've been transferred into, being delivered out of the domain of darkness in chapter 1, verse 13. Christ redeems us and forgives our sin, verse 14. Christ is the image of, this is the Christ who dwells in you. Christ is the image of God and in whom the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. Verse 15, 19 in chapter 2, verse 9. Christ is first in rank, honor, and preeminence over all creation. 1, 15. In fact, Christ is the creator of everything, visible and invisible, angels, nations, every authority. Chapter 1, verse 16. Everything Christ created exists to accomplish his ends, 116. Christ holds and keeps all things in existence, 117. Christ beat death and will destroy death one day because he is the king, 118. Christ will bring the whole rebellious creation and destruction of sin to an end, bringing peace, 120. Christ makes his enemies his people and makes them blameless when they stand in the judgment, 121 through 22. Christ is where treasures of wisdom and knowledge are stored up, chapter 2, verse 3. Christ has the power to disarm and reign over demons, nations, authorities that stand against his rule as king, 2.15. And Christ is able to make people dead in their sin rise again, chapter 2, verse 12. This is the Christ who dwells in you, brothers and sisters. Jesus is the king, and the king has taken up his dwelling in you. Oh, this is hope of glory. That is hope of glory. There can be no question. If the king is for you, there can be nothing, nothing against you. He is the all-sufficient king. And that's just Colossians. Incredible, great Rich, glorious is this truth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We must respond to such glory. One pastor said, worship is a rhythm of revelation and response. When you, when you see glory, you must respond to glory. We must respond accordingly to this great, rich glorious revelation of glory. Our lives must therefore be consumed by this vision of glory. Our lives must be consumed by, with this reality ever before our eyes. And that's our third point, the consumed life. And I'm using the word consumed 
intentionally, with my very limited grasp of the English language, uh, our, our lives must be fully engaged with this reality that Christ is in us. We must be consumed by it. Why? Simply because that is the intent of this knowledge, according to Paul. The knowledge of Christ in you is meant to fully engage your life. I want to show you three places in Colossians where Paul makes it clear that we don't just sit on this knowledge and make us feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. We must respond to such glory. In the first place, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Look with me there. I want you to listen for the words like because, in order. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Out of the hope laid up for them in heaven, the hope of glory, the Colossians' faith and love for all the saints made national news. It was heard throughout the world. The hope of glory overflowed, consumed their life such that they had faith and love for all the saints. Second place in, in chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. Paul says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Did you catch it? Paul, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, he says that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul's prayer to them is no less than a plea to God for them to continue to be consumed by Christ in them. They may be filled with all the knowledge of wisdom. They may be filled with all of Christ that may be fully, fully pleasing. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit. And then he asks for an ever-increasing measure of knowledge, for more of Christ. The knowledge of the glorious Christ overflows in a life that is consumed with a need for more of King Jesus. And thirdly, in chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's interesting, isn't it, that we go from Christ in you to the command to walk in Christ. This phrase, walk in him, literally means keep living, continue living in Christ. And that doesn't just mean part of your life is lived in Christ, your church life is, is lived in Christ, but your work and home and hobby life is not to be lived in Christ. No, this is keep living all of life consumed by King Jesus. One commentator said, Paul is in effect, telling them to remain where you are. Conduct your lives engrossed in him. Let Christ and no other, for he is king, 
establish your values, guide your thinking, and direct your conduct, close quote. Keep living all of life consumed by King Jesus. So how? In what manner? I want, I want you to go back to chapter 2, verse 4 with me. Chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. Paul says, I say this, say this, everything that I've just said up until this point, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. (coughs) Therefore, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, Paul is essentially telling his readers that he himself rejoices to see their good order, or discipline, and firmness of their faith, or the solidness of their faith. Because of that, Keep living your life consumed by King Jesus, rooted like a tree. That's a word like rooted like a tree, built up like a wall, like an edifice, established, enduring, faithful in the faith. And we are to do it abounding in thankfulness. How are we to do it? Abounding in thankfulness. This is the manner in which we are to live our lives. This is the only This is only possible if our lives are consumed every nook and cranny with the reality that Christ is in us. Thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord. See, the way of the false teacher? Captivity, severity, false wisdom, sorrow, debt. The way of King Jesus? Abounding in thanksgiving endurance and patience with joy, even rejoicing in suffering. Way of King Jesus canceled debt, freedom, the way of the false teachers, empty deceptions, a church that's decapitated from its head, Christ. The way of King Jesus, knit together in love, maturity in Christ. The way of the false teachers, do not handle Do not taste, do not touch the way of King Jesus. Taste, feast, see, behold, I am good. Sing, right? We heard last week, sing. Isn't that incredible that our God calls us to sing? what, What God, a God who is joyful does that, calls us to sing. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, But don't get me wrong, the way of King Jesus is hard. You will suffer, but it is freedom and joy. Freedom to be a slave to righteousness and not a slave to sin. A freedom to be a slave to Christ and not to these angelic demons. It is life found in dying to self. It is comfort in being afflicted like Christ for the comfort of others. 
It is joy in being acquainted with the grief of others as you walk together in life's darkest moments. Why? Because this is how Jesus is. That's how Jesus is. We are consumed by the one who laid down his life. He laid down his own will in submission to the Father, who died to bring us life, who was wounded for our transgressions and our forgiveness. He was a man of sorrows that we might know the joy of the Lord. To be sure, Jesus gives us many instructions and many commands that we are to obey. I want that to be clear as well. But notice what Paul doesn't say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul doesn't say, Therefore, as you received a system of beliefs and instructions, so walk in it. No, Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him. It is not a philosophy. It is not human-made religion, a system of beliefs or rules. We receive a person, and this person is Christ Jesus, the Lord. He is the king of all kings. That's why I say King Jesus, because he is the Lord. He is the supreme creator of galaxies. He is king and if you're here and you're not a Christian, first of all, I'm, I'm just glad you're here. I'm just glad you are here. There's no better place you could be than right here, right now. There's one takeaway. King Jesus is Lord. And to not worship him is sin. We think of sin as active sinning, doing wrong things. To not worship King Jesus is sin against him. So how do you begin to worship this king? You turn from your sin and trust that, that this king gave his life to die under the judgment we deserve to save his people. You see, this isn't an invitation. If he is king, this is a summons isn't it? This is a summons to come and bow and worship. And as we sang it, he is a king of love. He is a king of love. He is our shepherd. In, in sin and shame came mercy's flood, so we run to him, our king of love. Ask him to consume every part of your life. Come and worship King Jesus. Now, I want to leave you with two uh, Two points of application. Um, uh, two points of two ways that you can keep living life consumed by King Jesus. In Colossians chapter one, verse three through five, we've seen that the Colossians' faith in Christ and love for all the saints—it it, was—it was heard. Paul heard about it, but it was grounded right in the hope laid up for them in heaven. Christ in them. And before I began my sermon, I just wanted to know how many of you prayed for each other. And it seems like some of you did that, and some of you uh, were able to follow up. And I pray that you would consider the sufficiency of the one who dwells within you. 
if you were moved by the majesty of King Jesus and in all that he is in you, that, that this Christ is in you, then there are two ways that you can practically ask God to help you to live life consumed by King Jesus. You can't just hear all that Christ is and who he is that is in you and just not do something about that this morning. It should drive you. The hope of glory should drive you to these two ways. First, your love for all the saints. And second, your faith in Christ. Your faith in Christ. Your love for all the saints and faith in Christ. I'm just flipping the order um, from verse 3 through 5. So first way, your love for all the saints. Your love for all the saints must, must show that your hope is laid up for you in heaven and not on earth. In order to do that, there's, there's this, we, we, need, we need to know who all the saints are, right? Yes, all means all, but how are we to present everyone mature in Christ? How are we to do that practically? Are you supposed to do that with Kailua Baptist Christians over there? Are you supposed to do that with Christians in Russia? Call every single one of them. Hey, uh, how can I pray for you? How are you doing in, in the Lord? Every single Christian on planet Earth? We can't do that. That's impossible. But how do you do that practically? How do you work this out for all the saints? Well, you do that in your local church. That here at Colley Baptist Church. The other week, um, I, again, continue to pray for members here at KBC. That's how you can do that practically. But the other week, uh, we gave out a list of people who we are going to be presenting to remove from our membership roles. This is not a disciplinary removal. This is not a disciplinary, disciplinary removal. We made that list available. Um, and even though it's not a discipline, disciplinary removal, it is not something we do want to do lightly. We don't just... Ah, just flippantly, you know, take these people off. People who haven't been here for decades, you know, just years and years. You just, they've gone to other churches. They've moved away. You know, they're doing other things. But it's hard to express how impactful this can be for the health of our church here at KBC. And in a very good way removing them in a very good way. This is a practical step toward loving the saints here at KBC because technically, we are not loving them. We're not fulfilling our covenant with the people who have not been here for decades. And yet we're calling each other to be faithful to each other, to love all the saints here at Tolly Baptist. And so, please, if you have that list, please pray. Pray for those people on the list. If there's a, li their na a name on there that you haven't seen in a while, call them. See how they're doing. We've, we've reached out to, made attempts to reach out to everyone on that list over the last couple years. Um, and so, again, this is not something we take lightly. We do so with, with, with all hope, knowing that this is a step toward health. All the saints toward knowing who all the saints are here at Calvary Baptist Church so that we can walk intentionally side by side with those we have promised that we would walk side by side with. Does that, does that make sense? 
So, so we're, we're putting that forward, and we have put that forward, and I want you to know that that's practically how we can live out all the saints, our love for all the saints, as we live lives consumed by King Jesus. Secondly, how can we practically live out our hope of glory? Um, second, it's in our faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. First was love for all the saints. Second, faith in Christ. Is there an area in your life, a, a, a sin that you've, you've kind of kept in, hidden, you've avoided seeking counsel and accountability for, for fear of what others might, might think of you? Maybe you think it's a sin that could ruin you, hurt others around you if you were to confess it, or maybe it's not bad enough for you to seek accountability for, you think? Uh, brothers and sisters, being deceived by plausible arguments, living after the wisdom of the world and not living your life consumed by King Jesus. You know, there, there's not, not saying that there's any sort of malicious intent of hiding it. Maybe there is, but maybe you're just scared. You don't know how. You don't know what will happen. There is, there is freedom from your slavery to sin in Christ. There is joy and feasting in obeying King Jesus. Yes, it may hurt you and others to confess. That's what sin does. But that gets you back on the path toward firmness, rootedness, being built up in the faith, Gets you back on the path to joy in Christ. You want to find life, you lose it. Or in other words, allow that area of your life to be consumed in obedience to King Jesus. And what would it say about where our hope is laid up if we're to, to go to a faithful member, KBC, to seek help regardless of how it might make you look? We've seen this over and over. People hiding their sin only for it to destroy their lives and others around them and bring ruin to the fame of Christ. Confessing sin, humbly seeking help and counsel, exposing your heart idols and allowing the gospel to root them up and an entire church doing that, it will result in others hearing of your faith in Christ Jesus because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. How much more rooted, again, built up, established in the faith would we be? How much glory for King Jesus would that garner? Again, you might think that's a hard ask. It could really hurt my reputation, my family. It could hurt my life. Brother and sister, if you are in sin and you're keeping it in, again, not saying that there's any malicious intent, but you're honestly terrified by, uh, about the consequences, your sin is already hurting you, already hurting your family and your life. It's not, it might, it will hurt them, it is now. If you are keeping sin in and following what King Jesus has said to do, may hurt momentarily but it will result in you appearing with Christ in glory. 
it will. If it's something you know you need to do, but you think it will bring significant harm, speak with Pastor Bill, Pastor Randy, you know, speak with Paula. I didn't ask her if I could bring her up, but speak with her. If you think it's going to really bring significant harm, but don't wait. Don't wait. Satan doesn't want you to do that. Even if it's not something huge, it's something that you think is small, talk to a brother or sister in Christ. Confess it. Satan doesn't want you to do that. He'll delude you with plausible arguments. You don't need to do that right now. Call them later. It's not that big of a deal. You can handle it on your own. Or it's impossible to do this. You can't do it. You can't. Those are fine-sounding arguments, but they are delusions, deceitful arguments. But if you think it's impossible, remember. Remember who dwells in you. Sovereign God, King Jesus, who disarmed Satan and his power over you. Don't wait. We're about to sing in Christ alone. Your hope is found in Christ alone alone. You're scared to confess sin. There's no one here that has not felt that. I've felt that. And there are people here who have done so to find that only in obedience is joy found in Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. That's living life, no matter what's going around you, on around you, or inside of you, consumed by King Jesus. May we do so with all his strength that he works powerfully within us. Let's pray. Father, we are asking, and... and to use Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 1. Father, we are asking that you might fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We are asking Christ to fill us because he is the storehouse where knowledge and wisdom is found so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to you. Help us to bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. We want more of Jesus. Being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We give you thanks, our Father because you've qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. And in your Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Would you receive all glory as we live our lives consumed by him? In his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand with us as, as we sing in Christ alone?